Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, I am here with my dear friend, Sintra Wilson, one of the most incisive, indomitable, intrepid, inimitable writers, a social critic masquerading as a fashion writer, the formal critical shopper columnist for the New York Times, author of several books, and I say this with pride, a former contributor to Stylesigeist magazine, uh, and an all-around badass, a true punk with whom I can talk about fashion and Karl Marx in the same conversation. Thank you, Sintra, for being here. I'm delighted. It is an absolute thrill to do anything with you always, Eugene. I have been a huge fan of Style Zeitgeist and your brain in particular, which uh, I hold in the greatest of esteem. Thank you. Thank you. So I, for those of you who don't know, and we have like more younger listeners here, uh, Sintra was, you really were one of my very few inspirations uh, to get into writing about fashion. When I read your columns as, uh, uh, you know, in my Wall Street dungeons, you know, dreaming of freedom, they just brought a smile to my face every time I read them. And your prose absolutely incredible prose fresh metaphors uh the incredible sense of humor and just like spot-on analysis you know you're the author of my favorite most favorite pray phrase that a fashion journalist ever put on paper <laughs> if <laughs> if marnie is post sex then come the garçon is post reason <laughs> i mean pure pure gold and Everyone knows, and I hate saying it, but I don't, and I know you don't really write about fashion anymore, and I think this is a real, real loss for fashion journalism. Uh, it's certainly a loss for me. I really loved writing about fashion, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the problem with journalists everywhere these days. It's like the, uh, the jobs just went away. Yeah. And the rates have gone down like tenfold. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, my my uh, my journalistic income dropped 90 percent after 2007. That's crazy. It, it was crazy. Like like the, the gigs that I was getting when I was, um, you know, a 20 year old journalist were, you know, like 10 times what I get offered now. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah. That's a whole. Not other to be discussion. too big yeah. a bummer about it. I mean, like it's just sort of you know as a backdrop more than a you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not introducing a general field of complaint here. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But 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 in a way, I think I feel like you dropping out of fashion journalism it has been. It's almost was like prophetic for what the field of fashion journalism has become, which is this pliant, inoffensive, uh, uncritical field where just very, very few people who are left who actually think. Well, I, when I was writing the critical shopper column, it was more critical than shopper. 
And now it's more sharper than critical, I think it's fair to say. Um, I mean, the, the level of criticism I was getting away with was something that I don't see anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean, same. And uh, I just, I in preparation for this, I just went and reread a bunch of your articles and I was just laughing my ass off <laughs> and also crying a little bit because writing like that does not exist anymore. Uh, but, and I'm just going to read out some things. And I, we, I, I was thinking we're going to put some links on our website because oh, be great. people need to read this because we're talking like 2007 to 2010, right? You were writing for them. Yeah, quite. Yeah, I, I think I wrote for them a little bit longer, but in, in spurts, like they kept kind of firing me and taking me back a few times and uh, <laughs> until they finally fired me for good. Yeah. So here is Sintra uh, masquerading as a fashion journalist, but really being a social critic that that you are this is from an article on the comme de garçon store <laughs> america hasn't quite grokked the idea that civilization is desirable that culture is the cornerstone of civilization and that a thriving culture supports unfettered read occasionally offensive art <laughs> i mean <laughs> who else would write that in an article about a store which i just <sighs> I just love, I, I love your descriptions. Prada shoes are emotionally unstable. <laughs> uh, Alexander McQueen dress that you ended up buying. This wasn't a dress. It was the fulfillment of my deepest desires in wool. <laughs> On the Gisquier era Balenciaga dress. It may not have been clothing, but it was definitely art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just amazing, like the stuff, you know, you dream of writing and the fact that you did it in the New York Times uh, until they unceremoniously threw you under the bus was was exciting. But and I do want to talk about that because that to me was just sort of like a dagger in the heart. Or maybe in the back, I imagine it was more in the back than in the, in the heart for me, in the back for you. I don't know. Uh, but do well, you want to revisit this at all? Sure. I mean, you know, the misconception, I mean, if anybody who's, you know, if anybody had any familiarity with my career over there, the thing that really marred my reputation at that point was this article that I wrote about J.C. Penney. And people assume that I got fired because of this article that I wrote about J.C. Penney, which... Uh, Jezebel picked up and took a bunch of things that I said out of context and decided that I hated fat people, um, that I was against overweight people because I, they, uh, the Times sent me to review J.C. Penney like I would go and review Gucci or Comme de Garçon or anybody else. And one thing that I noticed is that all of the mannequins were really, really large. They had these really large oversized mannequins. And so you know, being the pithy smart ass that I am, I said something kind of irresponsible, like, like the mannequins were so obese, they looked like they needed injections of epoxy to keep their limbs on. And that was considered really rude and terrible. And so um, the public editor of the New York Times 
dragged me out in a tumble cart and shaved my head publicly on a Sunday and essentially said, you know, shame, shame on Central Wilson. And uh, but that wasn't why I actually ended up getting fired. I mean, I ended up issuing an apology after about a week of just being completely bewildered by the amount of hate mail and death threats I was getting. And I was getting like insane amounts of death threats. And, uh, and you know, other people like Corey Sika, you know, from Gawker called me up and he said, you know, I'm sorry that this is happening to you. This, this happens to everybody at some point, but it's 40 times worse when it happens to a woman. Like yeah. the, the threats are much more outrageous, but, um, the times kept me after that. Like I didn't get fired for JCPenney. Okay. I ended up getting fired because I w- was writing a political column for three papers in uh, Connecticut for like the Fairfield Weekly and some other papers. And uh, the Times had this really draconian freelancer rule that uh, if you were a freelancer for the Times, you couldn't work anywhere else. And they, uh, the editor called me up one day and said, you have to stop writing about politics. And I said, well, I can't afford to live on the amount of money that I'm making at the time. So you are welcome to buy my silence. <laughs> if you can give me more work, I will A be living happy. wage. <laughs> yeah, I will be happy to stop writing for them if you can like, you know, it, but I, I need to be able to support myself. And uh, that was why I got fired ultimately. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so at least that's good that they kept you on. Because I did, because I was reading your uh, Dior store review, which was hilarious. (laughs) Oh, thanks. It was prescient, too. I mean, like, I I reread that recently just because, like, um, I tried on... That was the one where I try on a dress that had been purchased that morning by Melania Trump. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I love that was the dress. selling po- point, like to you, like they were trying to sell that to you out of, of all people. <laughs> <I laughs> Melania Trump bought this this morning. <laughs> Paul Pot tried this on earlier. It was, yeah. Yeah. It, it was really strange. Yeah. But I mean, it was really interesting. Like I, I, I felt felt like I tapped into something that was very real because that was when uh, it was um, Galliano was 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 designing Dior and it was all yeah. uh, um, I, it smelled like filthy Russian klepto plutocrat uh, mafia flavors <laughs> to yeah. me and then it turned out to be exactly that that, that, yeah. turned, that, that was the trend that was coming so exactly yeah yeah uh, yeah, that was a phenomenal review. Like we're gonna put that one, uh, that one up too. I was just thinking about this article about J.C. Penny. I especially loved all the comments that were like, "Sintra uh, is so classist." Like this was just like some privileged white girl writing. <laughs> they all thought they all assumed I was like this Vassar girl with with like you know golden shoes that had just sort of swanned. They they thought that I was yeah they thought I was yeah. rich. And I like I was reading this and I'm like God if if I know that if there is one like working class intellectual I know like it's Sintra <laughs> like comes so like from. A, as poor of a background you can imagine who was like dumpster diving when she was a kid absolutely still still can't pass by a dumpster without getting that itch <laughs> it's yeah the the 
the amount of mis it's only gotten worse obviously with the rise of social media and the kind of political correctness overreach that i think has neutered oh. all kinds of journalism it's really crazy. I mean, I'm going to start writing for Substack soon, and I've been writing an article called A Guide to Instagram Influencers for People Who Don't Care. And, uh, <laughs> I, but I've been, I've been like, I, I, I never bothered to like pay attention to who Instagram influencers were. And like, I mean, you were discussing the semiotics. They have gotten so banal. It's so bland the way these people advertise themselves. It's like they were like, you know, in some kind of Mooney cult that was run by Condé Nast, you know, where they we end up in these like absolutely mundane uh, kind of advertising settings. You know, it's like, look, everybody's hanging out in a pumpkin patch because it's fall <laughs> and we're all wearing fluffy sweaters. And look, I'm standing by my window having a hot mug of beverage and wearing a bunny hat because it's cold outside. You know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I've talked about this with quite a few journalists who feel like, you know, they cannot really do, they cannot write the, write the way they would like to write and convert, you know, on the opposite of, the, of that, you talk about designers who cannot design the way they used to design because everyone's a victim everyone's offended all the time all the time and i i actually think that cultural appropriation especially when it comes to places like fashion like my I'm, i have this secret theory and let me know what you think about this is that like cultural appropriation is actually a white supremacist idea that somehow snuck into the halls of academia posing as a left-wing idea like and is and is actually just incredibly divisive. I mean, like obviously there are there are situations in which, you know, there there is cultural appropriation and it's bad and it's terrible and it should be condemned. But I mean, most of the time, what you're really talking about is influence or homage, you know. And if you if you take all of that out, you're going to have a very fucking dull planet indeed. I'm sorry. Can I swear on this podcast? You bet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, you know, okay, if we're, we're going to get really, really into cultural appropriation, well, then you can't have music anymore because, you know, if any, anything, you can't have rock and roll since it was based on rhythm and blues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was reading, uh, now that I think about it, what you say makes sense because I was reading, I was rereading Alan Bloom's uh, book, The Closing of the American Mind. Oh. And he writes, you know, that the first people who actually took exception as a group uh, were white supremacists in the South in the 30s. Oh, because, interesting. Yeah, he said, like, you know, we as a, which led to which led to which supported their claims to segregation mm -hmm. because they said we want to preserve our cultural heritage. We as a group, you know, they were pushing for special interests. And when I read that, that kind of like that kind of blew my mind. So what you're saying makes total sense to me. And yes, I've been saying this for years, like every ism is a division. 
That's totally true. Yeah. Every ism is a schism. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, and yeah, I've had these conversations before. Like no, no one quite wants to listen, to be honest. But but it's really true you know, that, yeah, a, a, like every ism is a division. Every like special interest, you know, is a division. And uh, it's it's hard to watch that. Honestly. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I was thinking about that in terms of uh, your fabulous article about why you can't wear your motorcycle jacket anymore, which because of the, you know, different like context that we see it in now. I've, I've never heard of the fuck boys, but <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> now I know <laughs> they look like people I'd want to be in the same room with anyway, but, yeah, you know, just, just sure. because they look cool. But. Uh, but I was thinking about like like the uh, the fashion that we can no longer that 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 I, I look at with a with a jaundiced eye now, especially because in the in the light of all of the like sort of backlash against Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Like the the main the main thing I think was that haircut, you know, the the haircut that the white supremacist like Proud Boys wear, where it's all like shaved on the top and then kind of long. Shaved on the mm-hmm. sides and then long on the top. And it was like sort of the cool Brooklyn haircut forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's like everybody had that haircut because it looked good. And then like the Proud Boys took it over because that was the haircut that Nazis had in order to accommodate their helmet straps. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a real loss. I mean, I, I think that and I'm also seeing like like car grooming uh, like I, I will never again trust like a Ford F-150 that is primer black and lowered with uh, large tires. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's a KKK car. Just, you know, yeah, do, go away. Do not cross that line. Yeah, it was the previous episode uh, I recorded with my friend uh, Wes Isolt um, from the band called Cave and from a hardcore band also, an American Nightmare. He said, yeah, I'm like questioning wearing black anymore because like people have stopped me in LA and then one one would be like are you like Antifa and the other one was like are you like a, a white supremacist he's like I'm starting to question and he says like I know the problem is not me it's them but it, it, it's it- are white supremacists starting to wear all black or is it just tactical gear I, I suppose mean, it's tactical gear, but yeah, I mean, I hope not. Cause I hope that because I don't know how well you would survive if we couldn't wear all black, Eugene. Yeah, I mean. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all the, yeah, I guess we can talk about how all the sartorial codes have been scrambled. It's really true. I mean, you know, I was trying to think about like what, like like when I, years ago, like around I don't know, probably twenty twelve or something, when I was hanging out a lot in Washington D.C., um, like all of the all of the really hot women or just you know attractive girls who were you know young enough to do it would always wear like Christian Louboutin pumps, you know, like with the six inch heels and the red soles and little tiny skirts, and, and I realize now, like in retrospect, like <laughs> that style. It just looks like we were all auditioning for Fox News. And, <laughs> and, and that would put such a bad... T- I'm sorry, I'm going to cough for a second. No worries. <clears throat> um, it puts such a... 
like that look now, the the look of that style of femininity, like the above the knee skirt and the and the hooker platforms and just like the you know really tight form fitting and busty sort of sculptural top wear and hair and the whole thing, like that just looks Republican to me now. Like yeah. um, I mean, anything that smacks of Kaylee McEnany um, or you know any <laughs> other Fox News host is just. I don't. I would never trust a woman who looked like that now. Right. Yeah. I I read your line from from your last book, uh, Fear and Clothing, and that's all about semiotics in fashion in America, right? Or in dress in America. You were recounting an episode from when you were in Miami. And you were sitting with your friend and looking at just a bunch of girls passing by and you're like, oh, like these are, you know, really beautiful hookers. And your friend's That's like, no, thought. these are just girls going to a club. <laughs> and you're like, well, what's the prostitute supposed to wear like for for a client, you know, to give semiotic clues to a prospective client. <laughs> How do you indicate? I know, exactly. I mean, it's like if all of the semiotics of your clothing just says hooker, then how do hookers actually, you know, stand out from the crowd? It, it, it does strike me as being like somewhat professionally difficult for them. They'd have to get really advanced. Yeah. What, uh, what other characters have you encountered while you were researching this book? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, you know, it's really interesting to go down south, you know, like like fashion codes are so much different in the south, like for men and women. I mean, if you go to someplace like the Kentucky Derby or something, it's really it's it's really um, you, you get like this sort of feeling of like the uh, the south, the southern people who who kind of secretly believe that they won the Civil War. Mm. Um, like you can get that, that old Kentucky home, you know, you see these like old white guys going around in these kind of like weird, uh, dinner jackets, you know, that are in all kinds of crazy prints and they they look like, you know, Easter eggs sort of, or Fabergé Easter eggs, even better, like just like bright pastels. And it looks like there's a, there's a kind of royalty there. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they dress like a form of Southern royalty and they consider themselves royalty. I think yeah. still, yeah, they, they still believe in the aristocracy, right? I mean, oh yeah, they do. And they, there's a lot of hidden money in the South and they love to flaunt it. And the women wear like these enormous hats and, you know, which they spend thousands of dollars on a year and they, they, you know, all compete in terms of, you know, how did you get that made in Paris? Oh, you know, like that. <laughs> so the, the old Viblenian, is that a pat- Patrick Tracy. <laughs> so the Olivenian uh, conspicuous consumption is very much in the display. Huh? It is, and also like the the sexual mores are different because the women are much more predatory about using femininity as a weapon. I think in the South, like they they learn it from their sororities and. Uh, you know, they they understand that men are men and are to be wrapped around your little finger and then divorced for mm-hmm. tons of money. <laughs> you, either, you either stay together forever or you, or you like go back to law school and you prosecute your husband to the fullest extent of his <laughs> fortune. Um. But back to, well, we went off on all kinds of tangents. That was a big tangent. Sorry yeah, yeah, about that. But that I, was... No, no, no. It, it's great. Um, but I wanted, I did want to get into more into um, 
your work in your career and because just for again like i said we have plenty of listeners who probably you know they were like 10 when you were writing your new york times oh if that yeah columns so i want to talk about like i wanted to ask you how did you get into writing about fashion how did you get to the times and it was a complete fluke, actually. I got a call. Um, Mike Albo had been a critical shopper. He's a, Mike Albo is a terrific writer and performer, and uh, he he was a good friend. I haven't seen in in ages, but he's a fantastic writer. And um, he had been the male critical shopper for the Times, and uh, the editor was the exquisite and wonderful Anita LeClaire, who is just my my favorite editor of all time ever. Like, besides Glenn O'Brien, she was just the best editor. And uh, she called me up and said, well, we need a female critical shopper. I said, you know, I'm not qualified. Why don't you give the job to my friend Nancy? You know, she really understands fashion much better than I do. And she is, you know, much more hip to labels and clothing. And I said, you know, I'm just... I, I essentially, you know, cop to the fact like I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not of that tax bracket. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who, who runs out around in the Valentino shops and, and buys that kind of clothes. And she said, well, that was what she wanted. She really wanted an outsider perspective. So, um, I mean, after some hemming and hawing, I actually ended up doing the job and, I, I went into it completely blind. Like I had never seen a Valentino garment when I went in for the first day to review Valentino. And, uh, and so, and then I realized that that was sort of an advantage because I did have like, you know, a fresh, a fresh lens on things, but it was, I, I was a complete outsider when I, when I started doing mm-hmm. it. And then I, and then I slowly realized that there was so much more to fashion than I had previously thought. I mean, fashion is, you know, such a rich intellectual topic. It's so fascinating. It's such a great lens into like the, you know, the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. which is why you named your magazine that. And, yeah. uh, and it, you know, it's this fluid art form which articulates all of the most, you know, immediate sort of societal uh, ramblings and thoughts and feelings right there or or not or you know or or it's contra i mean it's like you can but you can really tell what's going on you can get you can tell what's going on a couple of years in advance through fashion mm. yeah i agree and it's cool that they took a chance on you it really was yeah, yeah. i was really sad to lose that job that was my favorite job for sure yeah i know it sucks and i don't know who writes that i mean i, mean, I know karamanica writes uh, the the male the male part he's great i like caramonica joe's yeah 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 yeah. he's awesome (laughs) we're gonna have i also asked him to come on on the podcast so you know my hopefully one day he will oh yes we should we should boost him caramonica's king he's he's Mm -hmm. a great guy totally you think the only person who can get me to read about (laughs) hip-hop oh yeah <laughs> that that's gonna be his introduction wow that's <laughs> when funny he comes on the podcast because yeah because he he writes so well about it um at that but what were you doing before the times you weren't writing about fashion you 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 had you wrote a no, you had a novel before what that was right? i doing yeah i have i have four books um so i was writing a lot of books and then i was i was kind of uh 
I always had some journalism happening. Like I, I wrote, uh, there was, there was um, Fear and Clothing, which came out and uh, like just a couple of years ago. And, yeah. uh, and then before that, it was uh, Caligula for President, Better American Living Through Tyranny, which kind of came out of a lot of the political <laughs> articles that I was writing. And then uh, I had a novel before that. And then the first one was uh, a massive swelling celebrity reexamined as a grotesque crippling disease, which was my first book of, uh, you know, culture criticism mm-hmm. about the cult of celebrity. Do you still like when you look at celebrity culture, which I mean, even if you're not actively looking, I don't think you can escape that today. And like for the longest time, like I so prided myself of not knowing what the Jenners look like. And then someone (laughs) showed me a picture and I was like, I hate you because I don't want to know, but you can't escape. (laughs) That's really funny. No, it's it's like, that's, that's the kind of thing. It's like, it's like a rapist. It crawls in your window in the dead of night and like, you know, and buggers your ear because like you cannot avoid the fame of certain people at that like outrageous pandemic level of fan of fame. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still do you still look at the do you still look at fashion? Do you still look at how they dress? Do you still look at fashion in general or have you been like have oh, you had enough? I, I do with with some interest, but it's not the same as really analyzing it, you know. I mean, when when you when I'm in a store like it was really uh, unless I get another gig like that, I'm never going to be able to look at fashion as deeply as I had the opportunity to do at the times. But yeah, I mean, I, I sort of pay attention. I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of curious about like the strange, cheap stuff that's being passed off as fashion now, you know, like uh, these, these, <laughs> right. these, these strange, like, you know, cardboard hip hop garments that they sell on Instagram and that, uh, you know, cannot cannot bear up under a single washing. <laughs> yeah. Does does that does that blow your mind? It's it's really strange. I mean six hundred dollar t shirts. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it is not the time to have a six hundred dollar t shirt anymore. I mean and I was always blown away by even even by the kicks, you know, like like the certain Air Jordans costing over five hundred dollars and things like that. It's just like that that always looked like a beanie baby tulip craze to me. <laughs> I it yeah it's hard it's you know as I'm I still write about fashion but it's becoming increasingly harder to justify my own existence in this field. Well, what about what is, I mean? What are you even interested in right now in terms of fashion? I mean, it's sort of like since COVID. Like fashion has been so rare and weird and uh, different. Um, I mean, what do you what are you thinking about it? Uh, fashion wise, fashion wise, I'm just pretending that COVID never happened. <laughs> that's that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, this is temporary, and we're all gonna go back to dressing up and wearing. The only thing I've written was uh, specifically on COVID. You know, was an article arguing that all those articles that came out, like that bullshit article that came out in New York Times, that we're all going to wear sweatpants for the rest of our lives. I and fashion that. is yeah. that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? Like, is this like, have you, what planet do you live in? You know, like, 
So well, I, well, I, where I where I live in Marin County, these women wear wear yoga pants all the time. Anyway, you know they they always had the, the pandemic didn't really have much effect on them since they were already wearing yeah, half leisure. Yeah. But they're gonna have the Chanel bag hanging off the shoulder to you know to signal their status anyway. Something like that. Yeah. yeah so generally speaking. Yeah, that to me is fascinating because I, I remember asking a friend. I don't understand why all of a sudden all the uh, big fashion companies started catering to millennials and the young. We're talking about like five years ago when millennials were still young and now they're not not so young. And he said, he said like, yeah, but look at what women on Upper East Side wear. They're all in leisure. <laughs> they don't uh, don't really buy fashion anymore. They'll really still true. buy the bag. Well, I just that's because I realized that the the new the new Birkin bag for me is the half marathon ass because what it really suggests is that uh like if you're a woman who has the ass of an 11-year-old French boy um that means that you have enough time to indulge your leisure pursuits of half marathon running. Yeah, and that's it, that's that's the new tax bracket indicator to me. Yeah, it's the new tan. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's it's your Goyard beach tote. <laughs> For sure, because tanning is. It's a no-no anymore. Oh it's yeah, not, tan. It's, Who tans? It's bad for your skin. <laughs> yeah, you just get you know airbrushed that apricot color that everybody in the Upper East Side <laughs> likes. So uh, wait, you said you were looking at Instagram influencers, but you're not on Instagram yourself, or or are you? Oh, barely. No, I just I just I just put paintings on it. I think I I, I have maybe twelve total posts on Instagram or something. I'm oh, I'm, okay. I'm not much of an Instagrammer. I, I just got curious about it because yeah. uh, because I had never been curious about it before. And what conclusions have you drawn? Oh, it's just. I mean, it's it's really. It's it's really strange. I mean, it's like it's these people who become these full-time commercials for various products and then they look exactly like commercials that you would see in like Condé Nast Traveler or in, you know, Good Housekeeping or Dwell or something like that where like their entire lives have become like utterly commodified like I think, you know, just to to like paraphrase Deleuze, you know, capitalism is this all contorting glove that somehow molds itself over everything that grows, you know, and if, if it, and no matter what shape it grows in, capitalism is already enclosing it like a glove. And uh, that was really clunky the way I defined that. Yeah. But I mean, it, it did look like, okay, these are these human beings who like, are completely hermetically sealed in capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you know what I was thinking, uh, and I actually wrote an article about it that will never be published, probably. Uh, that the the only language that's left for us to speak is the language of capitalism. Like every everything is about money. Every virtue turns into money. Every problem can be solved by money. And this sort of consumer mentality, even if we look at the language around um, Black Lives Matter protests, like how much of it was about, you know, defund the police, 
support black business and you know by the word support we really mean buy yeah, yeah. You know, we we don't we don't you know the word support has no meaning <laughs> no other meaning anymore uh it, it was so much about that like we think we can shop our way out of any problem it, it's kind of dispiriting the That's language really true i mean i mean i we're about the same age or you're younger than me i i, I don't know but mm, i mean I I, i'm for, i'm 44 so you're much yeah. younger than me um okay. but i mean like at least in the 80s like when i was a teenager in the 80s i mean there was fashion was really important i mean fashion was exciting because you had to figure it out yourself like you couldn't go out and buy it because i mean we we had these clubs you know where you would go and you would be these these clubs that we went to you had to look creative and you had to look exciting and you had to put something together that nobody else had ever seen before it's like you were the designer and you had to put together outfits and so you know we'd spend all week like you know going to thrift stores going to you know finding vintage things digging through people's closets you know finding accessories like finding things that we could you know put together for like a new look and you couldn't just go and buy it anywhere and if you did you would be looked down on i mean the point mm -hmm. was you know your individual style and creativity and then that got completely eroded in favor of you know you go buy it at gucci you go mm -hmm. and or or you have a stylist pick it out for you yeah no, I agree. Like ev everything, everyone talks in, in these terms. It's really uh, all the conversations is in cons consumer terms. Even to me, like conversation about like democratization of fashion, right? Like, right. A, like, a, like a nice thing on the surface. Like, sure. Who I, I am all for everyone having great clothes at affordable prices. Yes, I want a beautiful planet especially beautiful America, because we've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> uh, but at one point, it hit me, that is all bullshit, that, you know, designer fashion cannot be democratic just by the virtue of it, just by, by its nature, it cannot be democratic. So what we mean that's, with... That's true. I mean, you think about the fabrics and, you know, the Yeah, and the construction. And, the and construction. if you don't want it to be made by, you know, 11-year-olds in Bangladesh exactly. who work 18 hours a day, then you're going to have to pay. And yet we demand that. And I thought, okay, what's behind this? And I thought, you know what's behind this? It's a generation of people who have grown up with the consumer mentality. Ah, that the customer is always right. And what it is, democratization of fashion, it's simply narcissism and a well, sense of entitlement. getting to look for less, right? I it's mean, it's sort of like, it, I mean, if you take something like Zara, you know, or, or any of these other, like H&M, what they're essentially doing, and, and, and it has really wrecked the metabolism of fashion in an interesting way, is they, they knock off things immediately as soon as, like, they're on the runway. And, you know, they'll make a $20 version of a $2,400 jacket. And that way you can have the same silhouette. You know, it's like that's, mm -hmm. that's I mean, it's really the democratization of a silhouette, which I actually understand the drive toward. I mean, it's like I understand why you want that. Yeah. 
and it's just horrible for the planet, of course. I mean, you know, all exactly. Of these, yeah, yeah, like all, all of the fast fashion is absolutely destroying the earth. Yeah. And turning rivers blue in India. And yeah. And the, this sort of lip service that's paid to, uh, you know, eco this, eco that, and all the greenwashing that's going on. And then the statistics don't bear out. Supposedly, like, young consumers care, but statistics don't bear out their statements. Well, I mean, it's all about what you can afford, right? I mean, it's like if you're going to pay, you know, an an extra $100 for your T-shirts because they're organic, I mean... A lot of people aren't just going to bother. Yeah, yeah, but also remember those like ancient ideas that we grew up with, like saving for something. Oh, remember aspirational that? stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to save up to buy Gautier sunglasses for months. You know, like that was yeah. yeah. Who saves anymore? Like, if you talk to someone about like saving for something, they're like, "What? No, I I I want that now." But saving saving is also something that you have to do if you have excess. And I don't know anybody who has excess. I mean, everybody I know is just like, you know, barely eking by. I mean, everybody's income has dropped so much. So, yeah, this has been a hard year. It's been such a But conversely, like for middle class and upper middle class, their savings rate has increased because we spent... You know, we spend so much money on going out and like we live in the age of $250 concert tickets. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But a lot of the same people would be like, oh, $50 T-shirt. I don't know. That's expensive. (laughs) 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 You know, like that's two glasses of wine in any New York bar. Who are you excited by right now fashion wise? Like, who are there? Are there any young people coming out? Any new designers that you've discovered that you love? No one who came in like the last like two, three years. But the the the, the still young who I'm looking at. Um, there's a new newish. He's not new. Uh, Comme de Garçon protege. His name is Kenyon Amia. He has this line noir. Uh, oh, cool. It's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's out of this fucking world. I mean, it's Ooh. incredible that he's allowed to do work like that. And oh, I'm so excited to see that. Yeah, and and I imagine that you know, I I don't want to turn morbid, but I imagine he'll be the successor of uh, of Ray Kawakuba. Yeah, take a look. It's just mind blowing work. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, um, I like what Craig Green is doing for menswear. You know, but again, these are guys who like we're talking like 2015. They began sort of. Ah, it's okay. Shit. It's still post my consumer consciousness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of designers like that, but no one really, really. You know, it's still like Rick Owens for me. Me too. Just, we love just, Rick Owens. Yeah, just mm. like the. All of our conversations gutter out into Rick Owens eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it's the nexus. He, he's become the nexus. Of, uh, he's our favorite. He's our favorite yeah. boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't be goth and not be into fashion and not love Rick. You can't not love Rick. It's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. I'm. Uh, 
I really hope that Style Zeitgeist gets to throw parties again uh, after the pandemic because you threw my favorite parties. I mean, where I walked in, and I felt like everyone here is in my tribe. This is my tribe. I felt like <laughs> yeah. I'd come home. It was yeah, and there's so little of it in New York now. Oh mm. man, what do you even call the people who come to your parties? Is there any like sort of generic term for? Us? What do we misfits. call us? <laughs> misfits. <laughs> misfits into Rick Owens. Yeah. But you know what I want to do? Like, if I stay in New York, uh, which I'm sort of, I'm, I'm second guessing that for the first time in my life. Like, oh I, my thought, God. I thought I'll be a New Yorker for life. But honestly, this fucking rich people Disneyland is really, I'm questioning staying here. But if I do, I was thinking actually to open a bar because <clears throat> I hear the same refrain you know, from what you just said, like people have nowhere to go, like people like us. I would I would I would make a pilgrimage to New York to go to your bar, Eugene. That would be Thank the, you. that would be a tremendous place to mm-hmm. be. I think it, and I really do miss that. I mean, subculture is what I think is really, really lacking just to like um I mean, you were saying it, it's sort of like if you don't have things that signify rebellion or something outside of the status quo. Like once, once, once they, you know, Anna Wintour makes this declaration that all no fashion is off limits. That means nothing is forbidden, right? And if yeah. you, if if everything is permitted, and nothing is forbidden, then you also have no ability to shock or suggest that you are counterculture or that you are rebelling against anything. Right. Yeah, like absolutely. you don't have this. You don't have the semiotic language within fashion to say fuck you to society. And I think that that is very, very important. Like we need subcultures badly. Like they, was, as soon as like they neutralized punk, it was all over. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's exactly that's exactly it. Like we no longer have semiotic clues to signal to others. Because everything just gets. It's a signal to others who you are. And, you know, people who say like, oh, yeah, it's everything is on the inside. Fuck that. You know, that's what that's what we got into fashion for, because exactly. fashion is on the outside what you are on the inside. You you, ha- you have to signal some, somehow like it's like the, the, I remember the owner of kinfolk the the store not the magazine saying like i don't know how young kids make friends anymore because like how, how do you tell like someone who is like into the same stuff as you are uh when everything has become so scrambled and i don't mind it being scrambled but no new codes are forthcoming that's the problem that's exactly right there's no new codes i mean if you think about like how shocking was when punk came out people were like you know in tatters about it people were in an uproar i mean they thought it was disgusting i mean it's like they were practically being labeled domestic terrorists you know and then and then mtv came along and sort of wiped it all clean you know it's like you could you could you could you could put a little punk on your on your bra and be madonna you could you know (laughs) yeah but i don't see i don't see new subcultures coming out and i I think yeah yeah, the only ones that have come out are like the white supremacist subcultures, and that's, <laughs> yeah, which is the last thing. We it's want. the last thing we want. I know. I mean, it's like it's not helping at all. So, yeah. 
So you need a bar, Eugene. That's really I what it totally, comes down to. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, yeah. If I if I stay in New York, you know, once we're all vaccinated and people are not afraid to go out anymore, maybe a bar. You yeah, know, you rents need a will bar. be cheap. You need a bar and, and that that has bands. Yeah, and it's gonna have a fucking dress code and like. I'll be like turning people away at the door, like, no, you can't come in. <laughs> See, I miss those days. I mm. would love that. Right? Because, yeah. like, you know, well, the most dispiriting thing to me when I talk to young kids is that they don't have the concept of selling out, which was the cardinal sin when you and I were growing up. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. To now them, it's, it's all just selling. Oh, no. I mean, it's actually, no, that's what they aspire to do. I mean, they want to do that. They want to be, I mean, I, I realized this shocking statistic that, like, if you ask children what they want to be now, a, a, a vast percentage of them will say that they want to be influencers. They want to yeah. be Instagram influencers. They want to be famous for being famous and make money because, like, that's, that's the way you get free trips and free stuff and free shoes. and Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's going back to this sort of, you know, narcissism and a sense of entitlement, um, which is the society we read. In. Have you ever read Christopher Lash's book, The Culture of Narcissism? Yeah, I have it on my shelf. I mean, fucking guy, what a prophecy. It yeah, like it's really, really uh, insane. Yeah. And this, and this is where we at. And I'm like. Who's going to do our plumbing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like, this is, and, and, but yeah, whatever. We can, we, yeah, we can talk about this forever. Well, hot, hot girls could do plumbing if they did it on Instagram, I think. Yeah, that's that was, true. Yeah, you know, you could probably start up a really good plumbing and heating business if you wore a bikini. <laughs> And advertise on Instagram. There you go, kids. There's your job. <laughs> Sponsored by La Perla and Home Depot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in Timberland. In, yeah, in Timberland. I, I, I don't even know what the uniform is for Instagram influencers now. Cause I, Bikinis. Bikinis. Yeah. Wasn't it athleisure for a while? Oh, I couldn't even say. I have only just started paying attention to yeah. them. Okay. I mean, it's it's mostly like this beautiful couple and they're so happy and they're on a beach and they're like toasting half drunk glasses of red wine and they say, we're so blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> but you're like, wait, the world is burning. <laughs> but not for them, you know. Look at us, we're in Greece. I mean, that that was the interesting thing about it too is I, I just saw a... Uh, a documentary about Instagram influencers and and when the pandemic hit they did much like you did they just they just ignored it they kept posting pictures of themselves on beaches and doing things and yeah. you know I read that I read about David Geffen posting from his like you know uh 500 foot yacht like I we're all in this together. Oh my and I'm god! Like, no, we're not. Not so much, David. <laughs> not so much on your sex boat. You <laughs> no. know, you're, you've maybe got your your yacht is maybe a better place to be than most people's apartments. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Have so, you? Uh, yeah. What's uh, you were gonna say something? 
I was gonna say, like, um, when's the next issue of uh, Style Zeitgeist coming out? Oh, never. You know, uh, remember how it's we said not on, be the, in on print the jacket? Anymore. Yeah, remember how we said on the jacket, print is not dead. It's something I came up with to imitate. Punk is not dead. So. All right. That followed the death of punk pretty quickly. <laughs> but we got five issues in, so so that's not bad. And but they that's are really I'm beautiful very, issues. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm really Those things proud. are works of art. Those are really, really gorgeous. I mean, thank if you haven't you. collected them, people, you should. Yeah, and some of them are gone now. You can buy only like three issues out of five. And I remember really like my, my arts editor, uh, Martin, saying, just to think what we've done with the little that we've had is kind of because the whole thing was really on a shoestring, you know. Uh, and beautifully produced. Thank you, thank you. I mean, you you were our highest paid contributor <laughs> uh, oh, by far. That's by an far. honor. Yeah, and I remember you like Eugene. You can't afford me, and I was like, just tell me oh. a low straight, and then I went. <laughs> I went to my business partner. It's like, <laughs> we really need, we really need Sintra. Like, Aww. it's 500 bucks. And he's like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> which is like, yeah. Like this was at the time, yeah, this was, yeah, this is which was like, you know, like half what we were paying everyone else because we had no money. But it was also what I was getting, like, 250 was like what I was getting from business of fashion for an article you know so like oh, no yeah. one was paying anyone because everyone was either broke nobody or... has to pay anyone it seems like oh there's a lot of people who do it to just get into print which really fucks up real uh, yeah, writers it fucks everyone else you know and it's, it's it's become hilarious how well like you well you just you you're a writer you know like can't you just write something <laughs> like no that's not how it works like exactly. why is it that you, you don't come into a coffee shop and like ask like why isn't your coffee 25 cents exactly exactly no it's it's really tough i'm hoping i'm hoping that this Substack thing pans out we'll see i, I hope so too i'll sign up that would be delightful i'm gonna yeah, try to sure. be very amusing <laughs> oh i mean you 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 can't not be because this is just in your blood but I know you also like you got incredible work ethic. And I remember when we first met uh, because I had this little blog on Russian Vogue and they really wanted to interview you. Oh, and yeah. I, and I asked you about your incredible metaphors because they're all so fresh. You know, it's like you had a copy of politics and the English language plastered all over your bedroom <laughs> wall. <laughs> fresh metaphors, fresh metaphors. <laughs> and I asked oh. you about it and you and you just said, I care. That's true. And, that, and that stuck with me since then. I literally wow. remember what you said. I'm, 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 oh, I'm really charmed by that. I, I had no idea what I said in response to that, but I'm glad that's what I said because it's true. Um, yeah. And you care too. I mean, it's, it's really apparent in everything that you write as well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do. Yeah. Uh, It'd be great to have you writing about fashion again because, man, I tell you, this field has become just dismal. Is it a it's wasteland a, now? It's a fucking wasteland. It's just like I read literally like three people, you know, like I, I read Guy Trebay, um, 
who actually may come on the podcast as well. Oh, like, great. I, I, I read I, I read John Karamanica's columns. I read Angela Flacavento. Like I'll still read Kathy Horan. And and that's and that's kind of it. There isn't really like all that all that much. Uh, well, yeah, which is sad because, like you said, it's actually a very rich field. Oh, it's so much fun to read when somebody is really smart, like Valerie Steele or somebody who's doing it. It's uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're, but you know, the intellectual pursuits. Nobody reads. Nobody cares. I mean, it's it's really it's really just become a, like a purely visual world at this point. So I agree. Yeah. Words, <laughs> words are, a, are a nifty antique, like quaint thing of the past. You, you, I'm gonna start a Substack and pictures. <laughs> just yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is your new newsletter. Here's a photo. It'll just be it'll just be tits. You know? <laughs> Here you go. Here's your breasts for today. Exactly. Do you still engage in semiotic analysis randomly? Like you walk on the street and you'll be like, hmm. I can't, I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my father and I were discussing the semiotics of the Super Bowl halftime show yesterday. I mean, oh, yeah. What did you think? What did you think? Oh, it was, well, my, my, my dad was an art teacher for a long time. He's like, hey, look at the semiotics of this. It's sort of like there was a, I guess it was the weekend and he had all of these, uh, you know, buildings sort of behind him. It looked like buildings and people in, in, uh, pandemic masks but it looked like they were all behind standing behind graves so there was like something interesting going on there oh, okay. I mean, yeah but yeah it was, it was a little inscrutable to yeah. tell you the truth i think it was more spectacle than message sure i mean to me it instantly invoked michael jackson like the red and the black of thriller oh yeah and the short pants too it and looked like he had light pants. socks on too mm -hmm. yeah it was it was quite apparent yeah. Um, in that yeah, it's it's uh one of the things i'm always always find funny uh when people call me elitist um which i've come to love <laughs> 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 but i feel like we we live this hilarious conundrum in that no one seems to get the sense of irony that on the one hand we're supposed to be so non-judgmental, but we basically judge like every second of our life. You know? Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 ridiculous to say that you don't. It's as ridiculous as people who tell you that they have no sense of fashion whatsoever, and you can tell that they like they absolutely deliberately wore that t-shirt and not a different t-shirt and you know or chose those socks and not other socks i mean it, it, everybody has fashion consciousness whether they choose to believe they do or not why are we in america so afraid to talk about taste oh god well you really well now you can run afoul in all kinds of ways i mean it's like you know you can be Taste, taste is classist, really. I mean, you can, your, your taste, I mean, unless you're a creative person, unless you're, you know, somebody like us who's been putting together fashion from nothing, you know, for, for years. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, it, it generally comes down to what you can afford. And then that's kind of a day class, a conversation. Hmm. 
Yeah, but I feel... But no one's really having that conversation either. I, I remember I, I once wrote that for me, like the biggest problem with the current Balenciaga is that <clears throat> you know, they, they take the style of the working class and dish it out for like crazy amounts of money. Like yeah. it's really, it really looks like working class immigrant stuff. And, you know, and they, and they hide behind it as quote unquote inspiration but when I looked at it, I, I, I invite everyone to think what is really going on there. You know, when they take something like a security jacket. Yeah, it's like a workless work suit. Yeah. Yeah, worn by someone who gets minimum wage and then selling it for whatever, $700. That to me, and I've written about it, but again, like no one seems to care that actually there's yes there is a big class you know what that reminds me of like so much is that i like i remember like during while we were in the wars you know in afghanistan and in iraq the barneys over in brooklyn was selling all of these camouflage you know like attire like camo pants and camouflage jackets and these 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 you know, army clothes that looked like they'd been like washed up on the beaches at Iwo Jima, you know, like they were just completely thrashed. And, and, uh, you know, the idea that there was like this false history of combat in these, you know, $500 pants. Well, there was like actual wars going on overseas that I mean that's always bothered me but then again I always think that fashion is sort of a reification of everything we're ignoring too you know Mm. like we're ignoring these wars so they come out as you know a $700 flak jacket you know right yeah yeah I I agree and to me again there's an inherent paradox here yes like quality things are expensive okay they don't have to be that expensive like if this is now beyond like all stratospheric <laughs> right, uh, right, right. levels like i'm looking at prices i'm like wholesale is the new retail <laughs> oh my god it's so cheap. yeah it's 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 really out of control but at the same time what i'm more interested in is like why is it so hard to talk about style anymore yeah, I remember, especially in America, I remember, I think it was my, it was in one of my classes when I taught Parsons briefly, and I decided just for fun to do a survey. And I asked my students, when you dress, what are your considerations? And every single one of them, except one girl said, oh, I just did something I want to be comfortable in. I just trust to be comfortable. Ugh. And I thought, you guys are Parsons students. You, you're like our you great You've got to do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to do better than that. <laughs> I always used to say that the best clothing inspires fear. Yes. Which- I love that. Yeah, that was that was the that was the slogan that I came up with when I after after looking at a whole lot of fashion. Yeah, agreed. And and I like what you said again, going back to your uh, Comme de Garçon uh, store visit. And I also, you know, I quoted it out and I'll just uh, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just quote you. 
Do the ends justify the means? Are Comme de Garçons creations wearable? Are they realistic? Are they cute? Comme de Garçons does not answer these questions. Your approval is not its raison d'etre. And this is what makes Comme de Garçons so incredibly great. I'm I'm glad I said that. I don't remember saying it, but <laughs> yeah, it's on record. Yeah, <laughs> it's on record. <laughs> and, and, and this is why. And you're totally right. This is why, like, Comme de Garcon is so great because Ray does not care. Oh, that's absolutely true. Program. I remember I asked a WFMU DJ one time. I was like, you know what? I really don't understand the thing about Lou Reed. Like, what is it about Lou Reed that makes Lou Reed Lou Reed? Because well. Lou Reed, he can show up anywhere and he can be wearing acid-washed jeans and have a permanent and a mullet and it doesn't matter because he's Lou Reed. You know, he, he doesn't have to wear anything to be cool because he's Lou Reed. And I think that there's, there's something magical about that. I mean, it's like if, 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 you, if you can actually successfully, you know, become a personality a you know an, an icon in that way then you can be post fashion you get to do that you know that is yeah. that is you know because because anything that you do is yours yeah yeah i agree but not not many Lou Reeds out there. Not a whole lot of Lou Reeds <laughs> out there. Yeah, you've got to become Lou Reed first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not many Ray Kawakubos. To be exactly, honest. same thing. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But that's but that's what makes Ray Kabakua Ray Kabakua. We know what you mean. I hope so. <laughs> uh, exactly, and this is to me this is the biggest problem today when conglomerates have taken over fashion that they want to satisfy everyone, mm-hmm. and Ray Kabakua wants to satisfy no one, and this is why. Well, that's Kondigason an artist, you know. That's yeah. an artist. That's yeah. art. That's yeah. And they are commerce, and it's pure commerce. It's really a, it's a frightening time that we live in, but there are some there are these these outliers. I mean, I, didn't they didn't they close they closed Yoji Yamamoto like a long time ago? They I mean, did. It became Alexander Wang to end to add insult to injury. Oh my God! Right. All right. I do own a few Alexander Wang T-shirts. They were very comfortable. You can't even get those anymore. Yeah, yeah. But the T-shirts are fine. But you know, you can still. tell though that like when they when they closed Yoji Yamamoto, there was like this huge cross section of like Soho women who were like like kind of aging out of you know the world, I guess, yeah. meaning they were my age. And they were just, you know, heartbroken because like the, that, that kind of black clad, you know, Japanese, it provided like armor for, you know, women. Mm-hmm. It was really fantastic. It was like having a suit if you're a man yeah. where, you know, it is this armor against, you know, the, the, the gaze of anybody outside of you. That Japanese look really worked for a lot of women, mm-hmm. especially older women, women who are not, you know, model thin and, you know, yeah. tall. It, it, it worked out. I mean, it was a way to look like sassy and respectable and hip and mm-hmm. all of these things. And that's, I think, now it's all body conscious ridiculousness and, you know, yeah. and, and, your, and your half marathon ass. Yeah, which I find 
again, the, another thing I don't understand, and maybe you have an explanation for that. You know, that, that style, that was an armor for women who couldn't care less or wanted to opt out of the male gaze. Exactly, exactly. It was sort of, um, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily unsexy, but it was sexy in a way that like a Korean wedding dress is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. something that it, it, it was, it commanded a certain amount of, like it, it wasn't about a curvy silhouette. It was about, mm -hmm. you know, it was about power. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I think Yoji can be very sexy, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's uh, sexiness through hiding and not through revealing. Exactly. You know, it's sexiness through mystery and not this like, you know, tits and ass in your face. Exactly. Exactly. Um, they leave nothing to the imagination now. It's Yeah, I mean, that I mean that's not sexy to me. The, I know the, it doesn't work for me either. I'd much rather yeah. see somebody wearing like a black prune shaped garment with yeah, you know, it, cool pair exactly. of shoes. Exactly. But but I wonder when today, you know, that kind of, you know, let's call it tits and ass silhouette or way of dressing yeah. <laughs> is sold as empowerment. Oh God, that is, that, that is really the worst, isn't it? I mean, it's like, it's, it's sort of like, I like, I get really upset if I am looking at like hip hop videos and I'll see like, you know, Cardi B or her ilk and they do that kind of thing where they flap their ass cheeks. Like it's, mm. it's this kind of stripper dance where you're like, you, you're, you're, your ass is rhythmically wiggling so hard that it actually kind of claps itself. I mean, and I've, I have nieces, you know, I mean, I have nieces who are seven and nine who enjoy this music, but I don't want them to think that they have to learn how to do that. You know, like I don't, I don't want them to. I, I don't, I don't want stripper dancing to be the thing that makes you a good dancer. <laughs> <laughs> what that that doesn't look like empowerment to you, Central? For some reason, it I'm doesn't. Shocked. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's presenting. You know, it's sort of like like when primates present their asses to each other. It's just like yeah. it's a, it's a. I mean, and, and I don't mean that in any kind of bizarre racial way at all. I just mean no, that we, like. There's there's no there's no parallel there. It's just like I'm just talking about asses. Yeah, I have an article idea for your Substack. As a friend, oh, yeah. take it or leave it. You don't have to take it, but I've all I've been meaning to write one and I never get around it. But the subject is uh, why are female pop singers not allowed to wear pants? That is so good. That's so good. I'm completely stealing it's yours. that. It's I need yours. that. I need that. I'm going to take it's, it. I'm going to write it's about yours. it. I'm, Every I'm, time I see one, it's always hot pants. Oh, my God. I think it started like with Kylie Minogue. Bottom. You don't get to wear pants anymore. It's absolutely no, you true. You know, yeah. And that's not racial because, you know, started with Kylie Minogue. Taylor Swift does it. Exactly. Beyonce does it. They all do it. Everybody does it. And I'm like... And that's what to me is kind of, we, you know, we have, when that's presented as empowering way of dressing, if we're talking about fashion or as feminism, you know, if we're talking about in general, I don't know. I find that. It's, you know, it's a really strange thing. I've been painting lately and like one of the painting series that I'm going to be doing next is all of these like sort of 
really overblown fashions from the 70s and 80s were like like kind of like dynasty style fashions where there was like this like women looked like exotic fuck flowers kind of you know like these <laughs> you know these these giant ruffles and these you know this huge feathered hair and things like that but then they I'm whenever I find a picture of them looking up like looking up at man or god or something like that it's it's this whole sort of thing of topping from the bottom where like you know this this submissive woman actually has all of the power in the situation like i did this portrait of lonnie anderson you know like like looking up (laughs) and so i was gonna do like a bunch of like portraits like this and then just call it while you're down there (laughs) this is great but but that's what i find hard to process when i think what do you think men are thinking? Like, are we talking about semiotics of fashion, right? Like, well, let, what do let's I stick think to that. Men are thinking? No, no, no. yeah, <laughs> like, like, no, no, not not you personally, like, but but okay, pop, you know, pop singers or whatnot, you know, that's presented as empowerment. I want to tell them. Let me tell you what the men are thinking. Men are thinking female empowerment. So, in an ironic way. It's the male gaze is preserved. You're doing absolutely nothing in terms of female empowerment, as a matter of fact. However, you excused your semiotic presentation as feminism. So it's like everybody gets to win, right? But in a way, you you are actually disempowering yourself further because you now you've given an excuse it's ridiculous. I mean, well, I wrote a play many, many years ago called Triple X Love Act, and it was actually picketed by strippers because it was about this um, adult theater called the Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater in San Francisco. And uh, these women got really, really upset at me for writing this play and because they, they thought that I was not presenting stripping in an empowered way. And it was really ludicrous to me because these women, I mean, there was a few of them that were sort of reviewing it as a business and taking good care of themselves. But like, by and large, these women were like incredibly fucked up. I mean, they were on tons of drugs. They were very, very drunk. They had, you know, very weird lives. I mean, it was, it was not a super empowering choice as a career. And I can't believe I even have to say that, you know, I mean, it's, it's. It, yeah. Unfortunately it, in the world, they, we're in the world didn't where you turn do out well, you know, it's like yeah. a lot of, most of their stories were not happy ones. Yeah. But it, it goes back to what I've been thinking lately. Um, it's like, everything is fashion now. Like the logic of fashion has, taken over everything including political views like one view is fashionable today and it's not fashionable anymore tomorrow interesting and and when i when i look i don't know actually why we get on got on to feminism but why not (laughs) when 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 i when i looked at today's wave of feminism no one talks about pornography anymore for example Oh, that's so interesting. And it's so widespread and it's so ubiquitous and free now. It's just a part of our lives. Right. And I kind of wonder, well, I don't know how much has changed. That that world does not seem to produce psychologically healthy individuals. 
today any more than it used to 20 years ago, 40 years ago, when feminism did address pornography as a huge problem for women. There's an I'm extra like, hook happened? now, though, because, you know, we have we have uh, Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian who got famous exclusively through porn. Yeah. And so yeah. now now it's now it's looked at as almost a career path. I mean, like I remember, the I think it was God. What was, what was it? Larry Fishburne's daughter who was trying to get famous by doing porn. And uh, Larry Fishburne was expressing dismay at this, and some. I, I still, I still keep cursory views on the tabloids a little bit. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's gotten really confusing, I think, for young people. I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah. So as have fashion. As have fashion. <laughs> as have fashion. As have fashion. Because you, you now have uh, five hundred dollar logo T-shirts that. That uh, have been a pro- that that look that like you said that really look like uh, poor people's clothes, and you, and, and you do have to wonder what what meaning is left in in our culture, you know, fashion or otherwise. <laughs> it's becoming increasingly hard to map out. Maybe I'm getting too old. I don't know. No, I mean, I think it has always done that. I mean, it's sort of like if you think about distressed jeans, it's giving your jeans this false history of the exciting life that you led to get your jeans that messed up. You know, right, like, right. you know, oh, yeah, you've been going, you know, skydiving and you've been you know, doing all these. But like so there's this there's this false history of this amazing life that you lead in your jeans, which which are actually just, you know, pummeled with rocks and acid and uh but i mean it's it's giving people the appearance of having done things you know like the yeah. en- enough rigorous activity to have actually done something and yeah. uh most of the people who can afford that shit don't do anything they don't yeah. create they don't live they don't do things they buy stuff and then they look like they did things because their clothes are you know have led exciting lives. <laughs> so is is Baudrillard the most prophetic uh, writer of our time? Pretty <laughs> it's, much. It's it's all simulacra and it's simulation. It's all simulacra and simulation. Yeah, and yeah, Guy Debord as well. Yeah. On that cheery note, uh, give us your prognosis. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're all doomed <laughs> we're all doomed it's idiocracy all the way we're like on the on the on a speed train i don't think you can stop subcultures i think there will be another subculture there has to be like at some point there's going to be another subculture that'll come out and, and i hope so yeah I, that's what i pray for i hope so but you, you know what i find uh, difficult and I know we're not talking about fashion anymore, which is fine because it's my podcast and we can do whatever <laughs> we want. Um, uh, and now I was bragging and lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, but, oh, yes, I remember what I want to say. What I find, why I think a subculture is maybe in danger is that I don't sense a sense of continuation between this generation that's growing up and them looking at the cultural heritage. 
Well, you know, to be fair, I don't think any young people really gives a, you know, no, no group of youths coming up in generations really care about the generations that came behind them so much. I mean, you know, they, everybody wants to trailblaze it for themselves. I mean, unless they're, they're getting, you know, consciously retro about it. Like, mm. why, why would they? They're just, they're just trying to navigate their own, their own way through it at this point. And I mean, you know, why look backward? I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know for valuable lessons. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think so. I'm all about looking backward. I love to look backward. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, but, but it is. No, I, I also hope. Um, I do hope for the better, but it's it's hard. Um, gosh, we we we're back on this. we're back in this i want to say something positive tell me what you're working on what am i working on well i'm going to be working on this substack thing i'm working on some some weird paintings and uh i've uh, i've been working on uh this really weird project that i have uh where i've been trying to do a zoom soap opera called sex boat (laughs) (laughs) I love that. What's that about? Um, it's it's about a bunch of people who get marooned on a uh, on a on a pleasure yacht during COVID and can't disembark anywhere, <laughs> so oh. they're just kind of stuck at sea. But it's it's a sort of so it's a sex party that has lasted months and months and months now. <laughs> I love that. I'm sure that exists. Like I'm, that I'm sure it's seen. somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> David Geffen. <laughs> Call David Geffen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David! What what uh, what will be the thrust of the Substack? What will be the main thrust? I'm gonna be doing like a couple of like culture criticism articles, like a, a culture criticism article a month, and then one that's more like sort of first person, but kind of universal. Like I, uh, my one of my first ones is I, I talk about the time that I went to a very famous curator's house and broke a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar piece of art with my ass. By accident oh. at a party in my honor, like right That's after dinner. Amazing! It was like the most horrifying moment I, I know of <laughs> anybody oh. living through. So I figured that that would be amusing for people, at least yeah. in, in a uh, Schadenfreude way. <laughs> that puts fashion prices in perspective. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like every time you want to feel bad about fashion prices, you just should look at art. You just look at art. Yeah, <laughs> it'll make it much better. Or every time you feel like I feel like every time, and this is advice I give: every time you feel dismayed about working in fashion, writing about fashion, participating in it in any way, just look at the art world. Just look at the art world, which is so much more corrupt. Completely. It's just so much worse. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And on that loving note, uh, I think, I think we're good. It's, it's been a, phenomenally fun conversation as always oh it's uh, just so nice to talk to you i've really missed you and and uh, i love that you're doing this i miss you too yeah th- this has been a great experience so thank you censure and everyone you guys we're gonna put up some older articles by censure that you have to read for just and and any aspiring fashion writer this should be like fashion writing 101 should be taught in every college and I, I have taught your texts at parsons oh well, thank you wow hell yeah oh i was bad. gonna say put up the uh dolce gabbana article if you can 
You bet. This, that's on the list. The Dolce and Gabbana masterpiece. That's my favorite article ever. <laughs> Every dictator and golden plumbing in the world of golden plumbing. <laughs> uh, yes. Wait. No. I, I was I was texting excerpts to my wife. So this is this is how we're gonna end with an excerpt of Cynthia Wilson's article about Dolce and Gabbana. Oh my god. Hey, congratulations on being married. I didn't know you got married. Oh, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, here we are. So fun. From Cynthia Wilson's Dolce and Gabbana story review. Despots have always been synonymous with black satin sheets, golden plumbing, and rock star sunglasses. Dolce & Gabbana seems to have fully surrendered to the dictator beast within, with all the carnivorous perversion, sadistic social Darwinism, and animal print safari wear this implies. <laughs> <laughs> I adore Dolce & Gabbana. It is right on code for my weak and confused cultural identity. I yearn to dress with the authority of a kleptocratic cannibal. <laughs> And last but not least, and we're going to end here, drooling over wrecks of totalitarian resort finery, I succumb to delusions of megalomania. I selected nom de guerre and despotic monikers for each outfit. Madame Subcommandantrix, La Cobra Blanca. She who leaves a flaming trail of plastic animal print combat garments and route to the glorious people's jacuzzi. Or simply, share. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. All right. Oh, thank you. Thank you, that. that was great. That was great. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Okay. Thank you All for right, being sweetheart. here. All right. Until the next time. Great to see you. All right. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. Intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.